Uh, happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads of Oakhurst, uh, to both the earthly fathers uh, and the spiritual fathers, like, like Paul was to Timothy. The Lord has uh, truly blessed this congregation with so many uh, godly men who seek to love and serve their families well, as well as their church family well. So happy Father's Day. Uh, but on this Father's Day, I have a confession. I am an overprotective father. Chelsea and I, we have three boys, uh, Ryle, Zeke, and Cam. And although I've grown at this, I can be a helicopter parent, right? You know, at the infant stage, they make that weird noise, and I ask the question, is he, is he breathing? Or the toddler stage, you know, where they're kind of toddling around the room and there's a, there's a corner or a sharp edge, I, get, get rid of the table. I don't want the table in the house, you know? <laughs> or even now, at the ages of five and four, our two oldest, you know, the words, be careful, come out of my mouth maybe 20 times a day. My confession is I am an overprotective father. I love my boys, my boys dearly, and, and part of what it means for me uh, to be a good parent, a good father, uh, is to, to look out for their physical well-being. I want to know that they're physically doing well. You know, don't run out in the street. <laughs> don't tackle your brother. Right? Don't touch the stove. Right? Words of warning, uh, words of instruction, uh, words of exhortation are ways that I protect my sons, and it's because I love them. Our passage for this morning is the fourth of ten exhortations that make up the first half of the book of Proverbs. These exhortations or affectionate appeals are from father to son, uh, to live wisely in the world, and I find it very fitting to be covering this on Father's Day. Appeals that are both practical and spiritual in nature. Appeals meant to help us to live in the world but also appeals that are meant to point us to glory. And these appeals are generally given through the lens of wisdom and folly. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 21 to 35. Proverbs 3, 21 to 35. You can find that on page 529 in the Pew Bibles, page 529 in the Pew Bibles. And as is always the case, if you do not have your own copy of God's Word, where we can grow wise unto salvation, please do feel free to take a copy of God's Word with you so that you can read it on your own. So with that in mind, Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Uh, keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow and I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Do not envy a man of violence and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor but fools get disgrace. 
Last week, uh, Pastor Dave uh, walked us through the first 12 verses of this chapter. So that was the third uh, exhortation from father to son. And he unpacked for us that wisdom is found in a heart that trusts in the Lord. Uh, Well, in our text for this morning, we'll find that those who find this wisdom walk securely in it. Those who find this wisdom walk securely in it. And with that said, for those who are taking notes, here's here's kind of my main idea. This is the direction that we're headed today. Uh, Gospel wisdom leads to confidence in God, uh, compassion for neighbor, and blessing from the Lord. Uh, Gospel wisdom leads leads to confidence in God, compassion for neighbor, and blessing from the Lord. As we dive into the text this morning, we'll consider three ways that the wise walk. Beginning with verses 21 to 26, the wise walk confidently. Solomon begins his affectionate appeal, my son, uh, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. In other words, don't let wisdom or discretion out of your sight. If you've ever spent any time around the game of baseball, uh, playing or or spectating, A common refrain that you'll often hear around a baseball field are the words, good eye. Teammates, coaches, even those who are in the stands might say the words, good eye. Uh, When a batter doesn't swing at a pitch that isn't a strike, that is a good eye, right? So we want to make sure, in other words, that that term's called a ball in baseball, right? Ideally, what a batter should do is swing only at strikes, but it takes a good eye to be able to see if a pitch is a ball or a strike. If you're going to hit the right pitch, you must keep your eye on the ball. Uh, Similarly, uh, like a good coach, Solomon exhorts his son, keep your eye on the ball. Do not lose sight of sound wisdom or discretion. Uh, Keep them in view at all times. So wisdom, this is a working definition that we've had through this series. Uh, The ability to discern or judge what is true, right, or lasting. And here we have a new word, discretion. Uh, Really, it's how you use that wisdom, right? A person's ability to make sound, wise decisions based on the circumstances. Solomon is exhorting his son to keep his eyes on wisdom. Preserve wisdom. Maintain wisdom. And if you do, uh, they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Right away, we see two benefits of keeping sound wisdom, life for our souls and adornment for our necks. Uh, Walking in wisdom, it has both external and internal benefit. Uh, The soul, our innermost being, will find life if we walk in wisdom. And and like a necklace that is worn externally uh, and is seen with the eyes as beautiful, those who walk in wisdom practically make wise and beautiful choices in life. And that makes sense, right? God created this world, and as creator, uh, he determines how exactly we should live in it. Like Pastor Dave mentioned last week, as we obey God's commands to live in the world the way that he intended, we can rightly expect blessing. Now, using symbolism, Solomon goes on to articulate what that blessing might actually look like. Verses 23 to 24, then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. 
When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. A common tool that's used throughout the Proverbs are these if-then statements, uh, these conditional statements. If this, then that. But as we come across these statements, and as Pastor Dave reiterated last week, uh, we have to be careful with these statements, right? Uh, Proverbs by nature are probabilities. They're, they're, They're not promises. They are what will likely happen. So in verses 23 to 24, we find that walking in wisdom will likely lead to blessing, safety, uh, sure footing, not fearing, pleasant sleep. These are all images of blessing, images meant to portray the peace that walking in wisdom produces. Uh, Those who are wise have no need to be constantly looking over their shoulders. They walk securely. Uh, Those who are wise have sure footing. Uh, The image of those uh, mountain goats on National Geographic comes to mind. They're on those sheer cliffs, and nonetheless, they're kind of bounding along, never falling. They have sure footing. They walk securely. Uh, Those who are wise sleep without fear. Uh, The wise choices that they've made throughout the day lead to peace of mind and sweet sleep at night, something that Chelsea and I are not experiencing right now as our youngest goes through a sleep regression. The point here is that those who treasure wisdom get to experience the treasures of wisdom. Those who treasure wisdom get to experience the treasures of wisdom. But what about those who do not keep sound wisdom? Those who lose sight of this wisdom? Uh, Well, the Proverbs call this person a fool. The fool doesn't take God at his word. The fool ignores God and his loving commands, and as a result, find themselves in difficult situations due to their sin. I wonder, can you think of a time in your life where you made a, a foolish or a, or a sinful decision? Uh, what kind of feelings, emotions did that lead to? Guilt? Shame? Uh, internal torment? Worry? Anxiety? Anger? Maybe actual lack of sleep? What if she reads that email? Uh, What if he runs into that person? Uh, Who who else knows about this? Uh, How can I make sure this never gets out? Uh, Walking in wisdom and in so doing avoiding foolishness will likely keep your conscience clear and your life free of worry. Now thus far, Solomon has made a, a pretty good case for why we should walk in wisdom. There are very real and practical benefits from doing so. Uh, But even more important than the practical, everyday benefits of walking in wisdom, in verses 25 and 26, we see the spiritual benefits. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes, for the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. Uh, Here we have the reason, uh, the ground for why those who are wise have no need to fear, even when disaster strikes. And that's because the Lord is their confidence. This grounding truth is critical because the Proverbs never imply that people can be safe with their own wisdom, their earthly wisdom. You know, common sense, uh, book smarts, street smarts, personal competence, they will all eventually be exhausted if God's protection is missing, if a person's confidence is not found in him alone. Friends, this is the climax of our passage this morning. It's the source. It's the root 
for all the commands and exhortations that we see. It's, it's the promise, really, that the Lord, Yahweh, will be our confidence. As one translation puts it, at our side. The wise walk in confidence, not because of their own wisdom, but because God is by their side. It is he who keeps our foot from being caught. In Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why is that? Why could the psalmist say that he would fear no evil? It's because you, Yahweh, the Lord, are with me. You know, King David could pen this psalm because his confidence was in the Lord. Uh, wisdom walks in confidence because wisdom walks with the Lord. Wisdom walks in confidence because wisdom walks with the Lord. He is our protector. He is our defender. He is our provider. He is our redeemer. He is our sustainer. He is our friend. Biblical wisdom keeps us safe from sudden trouble because biblical wisdom points us to the God of all wisdom with whom there is refuge. Uh, we sang it earlier, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Brothers and sisters, Yahweh, the creator of heaven and earth, is at our side. His presence makes all the difference. You know, like a soldier in a foxhole, the man fighting next to him makes all the difference. Right? If, if he's scared, if that man is wounded, or even worse, if that man is dead, there is no confidence to be found. What every soldier in battle needs to know is that the man next to him is fighting just as hard as he is, right? and with just as much skill as him. That is what builds confidence in battle. Church, how much more confidence should we have as we wage war in this fallen world, knowing that the one who hung the moon and the stars is by our side? The one who parted the seas hears your prayers. The one who rose from the grave has now given you his spirit, Emmanuel, God with us. Come what may, God in Christ is by our side. Therefore, we have an unshakable hope, an unshakable confidence that rests in an unshakable God. The wise walk confidently. And as we walk confidently in the wisdom that is found uh, in our roots of our vertical relationship with the Lord, this wisdom, it actually bears fruit in how we relate to others, how we relate to our neighbor. This brings us to point number two. The wise walk compassionately. The wise walk compassionately. Friends, Scripture is littered with commands, and each one of them is for our good. Uh, some commands are framed in the positive and some in the negative. For those ones that are framed in the negative, like we see in our passage for this morning, uh, there's implication kind of built in them, hidden within them. Maybe you've never disobeyed in this particular kind of way, uh, but take heed lest you fall. Uh, so commands framed in the negative, they highlight for us what we might be prone to do or how we might be prone to fall. Uh, they grow us in wisdom by pointing out potential pitfalls. Verse 27 to 30. Do not withhold good from, the, from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Uh, do not say to your neighbor, go and come again tomorrow. I will give it when you have it with you. Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. 
Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. These first four verses in particular are warnings. Uh, They are commands of how not to treat your neighbor. The first two, verses 27 and 28, highlight a a passive evil, a sin of omission, an unwillingness to do good to neighbor. And then the second two, 29 and 30, highlight an active evil, a sin of commission, plotting or planning evil against neighbor. What I trust we'll find as we consider these four verses is that if indeed we have a wisdom that comes from above, then it will impact how we love. If indeed we have a wisdom that comes from above, it will impact how we love. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were God's chosen people, uh, meant to display his glory in how they worshipped him and in how they lived. They were to be set apart, unlike the pagan nations that were around them. And it was the law of God that detailed for them how exactly they were to do this. Leviticus 19, verse 2, you are to be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Uh, Israel was to live holy lives because the God that they followed is holy. They belong to him. And then right after God commands this, he transitions into commands about how Israel was to love their neighbor. Leviticus 19, 18, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. The holiness of God, right into loving your neighbor. That's no coincidence. Our obedience to God and our love for God is intrinsically tied to our love for neighbor. Our obedience to God and our love for God is intrinsically tied into our love for neighbor. 1 John 4, verse 20. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Whom he he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We love others as an overflow of the love that we have received from God. Which is why when we don't love our neighbor, I think we have to call into question, have we truly received God's love? Unwillingness to do good to neighbor. In an effort to emphasize the importance of this idea, Solomon effectively restates the same idea twice. Choosing not to do good to your neighbor when you could, or telling your neighbor, hey, go and come back tomorrow when you have exactly what they were looking for, this is withholding good. This is the opposite of neighbor love. Uh, Friends, we've all done this in some way, shape, or form. Uh, Somebody has done work for you, and you refuse or you delay to pay them. Uh, Borrowing something from someone and then delaying to give it back. Uh, Procrastinating or or dragging your feet on a particular task that someone's expecting of you. Uh, The issue here is that we have forgotten that all that we have comes from God. Friends, our God has, has lavished on us all of his love. He has called us to be his ambassadors, which means that if we are to be representatives of God, we must love others well. Because loving others well, or in this case that we're looking at today, not well, it says something about God. 
Right? These four verses, they, um, uh, they act as, as brackets of, of sorts. Uh, if withholding good is kind of one end of the spectrum of, of lack of neighbor love, then intentionally planning evil would be the other end. Right? Do not plan evil against your neighbor who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. Much like these, the two previous verses, these two, they build on one another. It starts with a thought, right? Conspiring to do evil. And then it moves to action, contending or accusing your neighbor for no reason. Uh, the Bible calls this bearing false witness. Bearing false witness. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, the ninth of the Ten Commandments, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Bearing false witness is lying about someone with the intention of hurting them or ruining their reputation. The fool plans evil against the innocent. The fool contends with the man for no reason because the fool does not understand that God sees all, God knows all, and God will judge all. Saints, God has made our neighbors in his image. And every image bearer has inherent value and dignity and is worthy of your respect, which is why he commands that we love our neighbors as ourselves. But the fool, uh, the fool despises this wisdom and acts as their own God, deciding how they want to interact with their neighbor rather than submitting to God and how he has told us to relate to our neighbors with compassion and with love. But friends, God will not be mocked. Uh, Proverbs 19.5, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who breathes out lies will not escape. Church family, we are capable of sinning in this way. We have and will be tempted to tell lies that hurt other people. So when faced with this temptation, how exactly should we go about honoring the Lord? I would encourage you guys towards three postures, three postures, and they all really revolve around confession and forgiveness. The first, confess to the Lord. As is the case with every sin, confess to the Lord in prayer the moment that the thought even arises. Ask that he would forgive you for even considering treating your fellow image bearer in this way. Second, confess to a fellow church member who knows you well that you were tempted to lie about someone here this particular way. And, and, and in this confession, I would highly encourage you to, to get specific. Confess what the lie was and how you were intending to hurt this individual. Uh, you know, this is critical uh, because in sharing this, it'll actually help fellow members in this congregation to, to understand your weaknesses and to hold you accountable in the future. And then third, lastly, ask for forgiveness. Ask for forgiveness. Depending on the circumstances, uh, even if it didn't lead to action, it very well could be appropriate to ask forgiveness of the person that you had ill intent toward. But of course, if you indeed did tell this lie about someone, I would encourage you to quickly, quickly go and confess your sin and ask for their forgiveness. And then I would encourage you to go a step further. Wherever this lie has spread, tell the truth. Uh, correct others' mis misconceptions of this individual that you've told this lie about. Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other, 
For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Well, then how exactly do we love our neighbor? Right? Those who are in our sphere of influence. Well, church, the list is long. <laughs> and I'll leave it up to you to decide what that love will practically look like in your day-to-day basis. But there is one way that I can uniquely encourage you to love your neighbor that will impact all other forms of love. Share the gospel. Share the gospel. Tell your neighbor that there is a holy God who has created this world for his glory. Tell your neighbor that at the beginning of time, when God created Adam, Adam sinned. And in Adam sinning, all of creation would sin. And because of our sin, we are deserving of God's wrath for eternity. But then also tell your neighbor that God is gracious and he has provided a way for us to live at peace with him. Friends, tell your neighbor about Jesus and that God sent Jesus into the world who lived a perfect life of obedience to God the Father. He willingly died on the cross and then three days later, he rose from the grave, proving that his sacrifice for sinners was indeed accepted by God the Father. And then tell your neighbor that if they repent and believe in this good news, they too can have eternal life. Friends, this is the highest love that we can share with our neighbors, telling them about the Savior of the world. Philanthropy is good. Uh, humanitarian efforts are great. But what about their souls? Habitat for Humanity has never saved a soul, right? Church, we have the greatest news, news that can save a soul, and we love others when we share that news. So then my question for you is this, how are you doing with sharing the gospel? Is the gospel informing other ways that you love your neighbor? Friends, the wise walk compassionately. Now, the difficult reality is that this unloving neighbor depicted in verses 27 to 30 may be living in this evil way and at the same time finding success. They may be withholding good and at the same time getting rich quickly. They may be plotting evil and not getting caught. And so the temptation that Solomon addresses in verses 31 and 32 is to not be envious do not be jealous of a man of violence, because the Lord ultimately opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Which brings us to our final point this morning. The wise walk humbly. The wise walk humbly. You know, if we took time to think about it, I think we've all known or maybe even know someone right now who has lied or, or cheated or, or stolen their way to success. You know, it's, it's the classroom. A fellow student cheated on a test. They cheated on tests all year long and then ended up getting an A in the class. Or at work, a fellow coworker kind of inflates the end of year numbers and then ends up getting that promotion uh, that they didn't deserve. Uh, or the athlete who, who took the performance enhancing drugs and goes on to win a bunch of games in the championship and nobody ever finds out. 
There is no guarantees in Scripture that justice for wrongdoing will come on this side of glory. Yet, when we lose sight of eternity, we can all be tempted to envy this individual, tempted to do what they've done to gain the success that they have. If she got away with it, maybe I could get away with it too. You know, Solomon warns us against this foolish way of thinking in verses 31 and 32. Do not envy a man of violence, and do not choose any of his ways. For the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. Do not envy, do not be jealous of, do not desire to be like this man of violence, the man who desires to do evil, the man who desires to do harm, uh, Solomon's using the word violence here very much as a catch-all phrase. Uh, the warning is against envying anyone who is doing wrong. Uh, don't choose any of his ways. Uh, don't walk down his path. Don't pick up his habits. Don't even think like this individual. Uh, we learn a little bit more about this man in verse 31. He's, he's devious. Right? In other words, he's, he's shady. He's cunning. He operates in the shadows, and when no one is looking or so he thinks. And going back to some of the examples I used earlier, the person at work who's inflating the numbers, right? They do this when the boss isn't looking, right? Or, or the student cheating on the test. They, they do it when the, the teacher has their back turned. Uh, Solomon is warning us, do not envy this person. They're foolish. Well, what exactly makes this person a fool? Romans 3.18, there is no fear of God before their eyes. We established back in Proverbs chapter 1, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They've either forgotten about this fear or, or they don't know. They've never known the one who sees all and knows all. Friends, this is pride. This is pride, the opposite of humility. Psalm 33, verses 13 to 15, the Lord looks down from heaven he sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the heart of them all and observes all their deeds. Although it's not only the only reason, uh, a major part of why we should not envy those who, who willingly and knowingly participate in sin is because God is watching. God is watching. He sees everything that these people are doing, and he will judge every evil deed. And because of that truth, we should stay far from them. We should not even envy them. Now, in, verses, in verse 32, uh, we see that the Lord uh, finds this violent and, and devious man to be an, an abomination, is the word that's used there. Uh, the Lord detests this individual. He, he is disgusted by their evil deeds. If the Lord had a stomach, this individual's deeds would cause his stomach to turn. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, there is a time, there are, excuse me, there are times in this fallen world uh, when it may look like the path of sin is the path to getting what we want. But that, my friends, is a lie from Satan. The biblical reality is that the devious man getting what he wants may very well be judgment. Uh, Romans 1 unpacks, that, unpacks this for us. Judgment can take the form of being given over to our desires. And actually, getting our sinful desires, we forego getting God. 
So do not be envious of these people because in the end they lose. Right? Judgment will come either in this life or definitely in the next. Right? Remember Psalm 37 that Claire read for us earlier. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Now I realize uh, this can be especially difficult when the wicked are experiencing success. Well, at the same time, you or I are experiencing hardship or, or, or suffering. But saints, let me encourage you. It's actually in obedience, despite suffering, that we are most like our Savior. The suffering that we experience on this side of glory is only pruning us. It's, it's ridding us of our love for this world, while at the same time readying us for the next. All things, including suffering, all things, including injustice, work together for the good of those who love him. It's our suffering that is preparing us for glory. Uh, but we've not made it to glory yet. So how exactly do we fight against the temptation to be envious of the devious man? Well, friends, we live with the end in mind. We live with the end in mind. Those who are wise live knowing that this life is not all that there is. And we cultivate this mindset as we give ourselves over to the means of grace that God has provided for us. Friends, we have to read the word. If you're going to live with the end in mind, you have to be reading God's word. It's because God's word that points us to the end, right? It reveals to us not only the end, but the end of the people who are, who are wicked in this life. As another thing that we need to do, we need to get to know older saints here in the church. Glean wisdom from those who've gone before us those who've been where we currently are, right? Learn from their mistakes. That is what it is to be wise. And then lastly, think about our mortality. I know this may sound a little bit morbid, but the more that we remind ourselves that we will one day die, I think the more that we will spend whatever time that we have living for God's glory. I know I said that was the last one. I have one more for you. Lastly, reflect on God as judge. Reflect on God as judge. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Church family, eternal's perspective helps us to walk in humility. Uh, may we never envy the fool who has forgotten about God. And like a good father, Solomon goes on to give us reasons why we must not envy the fool. Verse 32 to 35, for the devious person is an abomination to the Lord, but the upright are in his confidence. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the dwelling of the righteous. Toward the scorners he is scornful, but to the humble he gives favor. The wise will inherit honor, but fools get disgrace. These last four verses set up for us a compare and contrast dynamic. The first line of each verse sets out God's opposition to evil. Well, the, sec the second line talks of his favor to the righteous, although we see it reversed in verse 35. Uh, if envying the violent fool is tempting, well, here's why you shouldn't. Right? Solomon wants his son to see for himself, hey, look, this is the end of the fool. Do not envy him. Here are the results of living that kind of life of the violent man. Uh, notice the word but in each verse. It kind of acts as a dividing line. The abominable versus the upright, the wicked versus the righteous, 
the scorner versus the humble, the fool versus the wise. Uh, each of these phrases are really just to, meant to reinforce uh, the other. They are driving home the spiritual reality that Yahweh, he rewards, he, he blesses those who walk in humble wisdom. And he rejects or he curses those who walk in prideful wickedness. We read it earlier in James. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The bottom line is verse 35. No pun intended. This verse is a summation of the previous three verses. If we're left with any misunderstanding, Solomon makes it very, very clear here at the end. The wise will inherit honor, but the fools will get disgrace. The wise are those who fear God, those who delight in God, and in so doing are able to discern what is true, what is right, and what is lasting. Well, what exactly is true, right, or lasting? Friends, in this life, people will lie. Uh, the news is, is constantly debated. Uh, given enough time, you will be forgotten. But God in the gospel will forever be true, right, and lasting. And those who trust in God and believe the gospel will inherit honor, will receive glory, will be rewarded. Not because of their own merit, no. Not because of their own wisdom, but because of the wisdom and merit of another, Jesus Christ. Yes, blessing and reward sometimes do come in this life, but as we all know too well, earthly treasures can be taken away. The wisdom that we need is wisdom from on high. And those who turn from their sin and trust in Jesus gain this wisdom. A wisdom that roots itself in the confidence of God. A wisdom that shows compassion to neighbor. A wisdom that bows in humility because the gospel is a message of grace. This is a wisdom that culminates in receiving honor in eternity because it gave honor and glory to God here on earth. The fool, on the other hand, the fool, the text tells us, will inherit disgrace. The fool will receive dishonor and will receive shame. Maybe or maybe not in this life, oh, but definitely in the next life. You see, it's the fool who misuses the gifts that God has given him. It's the fool who uses his reasoning skills to make wrong decisions. It's the fool who says there is no God, and therefore it is foolishness that leads to eternal ruin. Now here's the really, really humbling news. We're all born as fools. We are all born as sinners in opposition to God and the gospel. We're all born thinking that God's way is foolish and our way is wise. Yet we have 1 Corinthians 1.18. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The gospel seems like foolishness to the unbeliever because it doesn't make sense to them. The gospel goes against our, our instincts and our reasoning. Yet here's the good news, the rest of that passage. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. Although we are born foolish, although we are born sinful, when a sinner repents and believes the gospel, they are made wise unto salvation. From that point forward, empowered by the indwelling Holy Spirit, the believer can reject foolishness 
And now walk in wisdom. Live a life that actually honors the Lord. The wise will inherit honor because the wise fear God. The wise delight in God and what he's done through his son, Jesus Christ. The wise live life and make choices not based on that which is temporary, but instead based on that which is eternal. Which is why, church family, while we still have breath in our lungs, we must walk in gospel wisdom. Because gospel wisdom leads to confidence in God, compassion for neighbor, and blessing from the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you for your goodness towards us in the gospel. That before the foundation of the world, you had a plan, a wise plan, a plan that would look like foolishness to us, a plan to save sinners. Lord, thank you for your sustaining grace. Uh, By it, would you continue to grow us in wisdom as we seek to live for your glory here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.